Blog Talk Radio. Well, I am sure glad that everybody who decides to tune in, whether that be the YouTube, whether that be uh, Facebook, Instagram, I appreciate everybody. One thing I've realized in the time that I've been on this earth is that There's a lot that you see that you want to do, but you'll probably never get to do every single thing. Well, at least for me, I would say that. Um, But there's always so much to do. And I'm thinking about over all the times as well, how many conversations I wish I would have had with people. And so instead of trying to hit every single person, I decided to do a radio show because then I can talk, you can listen, and you can chime in whenever you decide to. Welcome to the KC Rant radio broadcast. And our episode today is the nostalgia of becoming an unlikely journey to becoming the first lady. Uh, as most of the advertisements that you might have seen on Facebook, Instagram, or uh, YouTube and Twitter, uh, you know then what the show is about. It's about, obviously, me reading uh, the former First Lady Michelle Obama's best-selling book, well, New York Times best-selling book, Becoming. It is such a, such a such a work that obviously we won't get through it in one one broadcast, and that's why I've decided that we'll break it up into probably four kind of parallel paralleling uh, the actual chapters in uh, in her book. Uh, and being chapters one through eight today, we're going to kind of talk about those that she titles Becoming Me. There was, John, there was, uh, there was a conversation that I had with my mom prior to President Obama leaving the White House at the end of his eight years. Uh, as the president of the United States. And we talked about it. And I said, and I told her uh, in that conversation and in subsequent conversations with other people as well, that I would be curious, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I said that I would be curious to really get 
their story? Like, were they going to be uh, willing to, you know, share everything? Because I can only imagine myself, right? I know how I probably would have responded. And if you're never put in a situation that you don't totally know, but I can imagine how I would have responded to certain things that happened during the course of, of his presidency that had absolutely nothing to do with the actual job that he was doing, but everything to do with things that didn't matter, really, like the color of the skin, you know, the, the personal attacks on his children and his wife. I just see that. So I was... One proud, deeply proud of how both of them carried themselves. And not that I thought that they would do anything less, but I'm proud that they did carry themselves in the manner in which they did. And even more proud that they didn't respond in certain aspects and certain you know, ways that probably most people, regardless of what color your skin or your background or your ethnicity or whatever, would have responded, right, just as a human being. And to be able to navigate that and navigate it for eight years. And and then add on the years leading up to Right, because he didn't just start politics when he ran for president. So I, I was um, excited, and it took me a little while to go ahead and go make the purchase and, and begin to read. Uh, but I think whomever, and not because of necessarily her ethnicity, but the journey. And for that reason alone, I think everyone should read the book. Yes, everybody has a journey. We know that. And we'll actually talk about that a lot more later as we get further into the broadcast and further into the book. So I kind of got a little far, you know, a little, little off. But so there is a lot going on, though. It seems like there's always a ton going on, uh, not just locally here, but, I mean, you know, all across the world. Uh, so as much as I try to stay on top of what's, what's going on, what's, what's going on, what's the big happening today? No. All of the one is big happening. Man, Pollen. And so, you know, I just just made a, a purchase recently, and I'm starting to have to think about a lot of those things that you don't really have to think about when, when you don't have a vehicle, right? <sighs> and the pollen here in Atlanta, my God, my God, it's almost like rain, but it's worse because it stays. You know, I thought it was raining earlier. It was just, it was just the pollen. 
Well, I, I expressed to you, I told you that as I was kind of just, you know, cleaning up or uh, dusting around, I would open my door sometimes and just leaving the door open, there was just this yellow caked film that was on the, the tissue. So I will be glad when I move. <laughs> that changes your priorities, right? That changes your priorities because now I'm looking for a garage. I want a place with a garage. I need a garage now. Washing the car every day is not going to work. Sorry. Won't be happening. Anyway, welcome everybody again to the KC Rant radio broadcast. This is where I just choose to rant about whatever I feel is important enough to rant about. Usually I try to make it, you know, something that's, honestly, John, I think I do a full array of things, right? So I like to laugh. I enjoy laughing, so I try to look for things that can be comedic. Or I, We have to learn to laugh at life. I mean, life is funny. And if you can't laugh at life and or yourself, then you're probably going to be a pretty stressed out human being, okay? I can say that there was a point in time when I was pretty uptight, too. Some people think I still am pretty uptight. They just aren't around me enough to really understand that that's really probably not a good, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, we're going we're gonna to stick with our uh, kind of format until the format just doesn't work anymore, right? I love fun facts, and you know I do. I love information. I love fun facts, <laughs> You know, but before we get to the fun facts, we only talk about politics. The NCAA tournament, man, and I don't care. I know I'm going to make them mad if they listen to the show, and if they don't, well, oh, well, they don't hear it. But I know those that know me, spending time around me, know that I cannot stand the dookie. That got dang dude another time gave by. Sometimes I don't even watch the game because I don't want to jinx it. Not that you can't really jinx it, right? But I just won't watch it because, one, I don't like seeing them win, and they're just one of those teams. They're like the Patriots. They just win. Win. I'm sorry. I'm tired. I just... <laughs> oh, excuse me. I had to get that out. But, you know, and the team, oh, they were there. They were that close. They even had a chance at the end. They missed a shot and missed a tip. So I guess it just wasn't in the cards, right? That's what they say. I don't, I don't know, but uh, I was disappointed. But they made the right plays when they needed to. So the NCAA tournament, man, I miss going to it. Me and my brother used to go every – well, we, we did a stream for like five or six years straight, and it, man, phenomenal. And I talk about it all the time. It's just a wonderful time. You get to see all these great athletes – you get to see story, you know, uh, universities across the country play at the highest level. Uh, so I do miss that, but it's going on right now. March Madness. We got the draft. The NFL draft is coming up. A lot of moves, free agency, man. But you know who I have not heard a peep out of really when it came to free agency? Atlanta. No, for real. Like you know, you know, I'm an NFL. Junkie, I, I mean Atlanta. The Atlanta Falcons are not my team. I live here, but I'm, they're not my team. You know who my team is, of course. Got the rating MVP. 
I never thought that I would actually be bragging about that stuff because it never happened in Kansas City, not my my lifetime, right? But anyway, yes, we do. I, but it surprised me that they really didn't do too much. Maybe they will. I mean, we still got a long ways, you know, the, the, the hype that comes before the hype, before the season starts. All that's kind of going on right now. So another hot thing happened this weekend which is why I'm actually glad, you know, things happen. Sometimes we get so upset and don't have patience, and I'm starting to learn as I get a little older. Oh, I thought I would never say that. I'm at that age <laughs> where you can reminisce and reflect, right, and then begin to say, huh, starting to turn the corner on some stuff. Patience. got to let her have her perfect work. That's what the Bible says. I mean, really? Okay. So I'm letting, and in doing so, we had breaking news. I don't really, breaking news, the Mueller report, right? But prior to the Mueller report uh, coming out, there was an op-ed in the New York Times from James Comey, what I want from the Mueller report. I don't know. Do, do, do you want – I think it's important. So I wanted to – and that's why I extended the show to an hour and a half. So I think I am because I, I think that these things are important. And so what I'd like to do is to – before we get into our main course today, and we will get to it, uh, I do want to talk about someone who's had a career in government, right? Someone who is the former director of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, who I won't say was a perfect person or employee, but had yet to necessarily have anyone question his integrity, his work ethic, any sort of thing of that nature. And even after the whole Russia conspiracy uh, began to surface and it began to be talked about and the dominoes began to fall, you never really heard an attack about those things either at that point. Safe to say, then, that what he has said through his experience and through his very in-depth knowledge of the situation at hand could speak to not only the facts of conspiracy, if that's what you want to call it, also the individual, which just so happens to be President of the United States. So I am going to take the time to read it in its entirety. Hopefully, I will pronounce every word correctly. I might, I might not. You know, those days of that being super ultra important are, are a little bit gone. Why'd you laugh at me, Don? Hey, listen, growing up, and and that's why I love this book. I can't, I won't jump ahead, but but 
little nostalgia that happened as I was reading the book. Did you know that she is only six years older than I am? Really? Oh, my God. <sighs> that kind of just like, oof, right? But, no, at the same time, I will explain later why that also excited. Okay, so I will, you know, go jump too far ahead. But I will try to do my best to articulate the words that were expressed in this article. So I'm, I'm again, uh, making sure that we all understand that this was by James Comey, the former director of the FBI. Uh, this is an op-ed that he wrote to the New York Times, and I will begin reading that. And this was posted on March 21st of 2019. The country is eagerly awaiting the special counsel Robert Mueller's report. Many people know what they want it to say, what they feel it simply must say, namely that Donald Trump is a criminal who should be removed from office or that he is, he is completely innocent of all wrongdoing. But not everyone knows what it must say. Even though I believe Mr. Trump is morally unfit to be president of the United States, I'm not rooting for Mr. Mueller to demonstrate that he is a criminal. I'm also not rooting for Mr. Mueller to clear the president. I'm not rooting for anything at all except that the special counsel be permitted to finish his work, charge whatever cases, warrant charging, and report on his work. President Trump's constant attacks on the special counsel, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the Justice Department over the past two years raised the prospect that he would interfere to stop the special counsel's work. It is deeply concerning that the President of the United States would try to protect himself by torching the institutions of justice, but he hasn't used his authority to end Mr. Mueller's work. That would be would have been a crisis of a different order, shutting down the investigation rather than just trying to undermine its credibility. Let's close parentheses. So we are in a position to wonder and hope about the report's content. Well, we actually skip ahead and we know, but moving forward. Wondering is fine, but hoping for a particular answer is not. The rule of law depends upon fair administration of justice, which is rooted in complete and unbiased investigation. We are best served when an investigation finds all relevant facts and eliminates the fullest possible view of the truth, illuminates, excuse me. I have no idea, I have no idea whether the special counsel will conclude that Mr. Trump knowingly conspired with the Russians in connection with the 2016 election or that he obstructed justice with the required corrupt intent. I also don't care. I care only that the work be done well and completely. If it is, justice will have prevailed and core American values will have been protected at a time when so much of our national leadership has abandoned its commitment to truth and the rule of law. I am rooting for a demonstration to the world, and maybe most of all to our president and his enablers, 
that the United States has a justice system that works because there are people who believe in it and rise above personal interest in tribalism. That system may reach conclusions they like or it may not, but the apolitical administration of justice is the beating heart of this country. I hope we all get to see that. The interest of justice will also be best served by maximum transparency about the special counsel's work. I don't know all the considerations that will, that will go into deciding precisely what to say about the completion of that work and when, it, and when to say it. But because the Department of Justice is guided first and always by the public interest, it should provide details about finished investigations when the public needs to know them, as it traditionally has. I do have one hope that I should confess. I hope that Mr. Trump is not impeached and removed from office before the end of his term. I don't mean that Congress shouldn't move ahead with the process of impeachment governed by our Constitution, if, if, if that's what Congress thinks the provable facts show. I just hope it doesn't. Because if Mr. Trump were removed from office by Congress, a significant portion of this country would see this as a coup, and it would drive those people farther from the common center of American life, more deeply fracturing our country. Critics of Mr. Trump should hope for something much harder to distort or to nurse as a grievance than an impeachment. We need a resounding election result in 2020, where Americans of all stripes, divided as they may be about important policy issues, such as immigration, guns, abortion, climate change, regulation, taxes, take a moment from their busy lives to show that they are united by something even more important, the belief that the President of the United States cannot be a chronic liar who repeatedly attacks the rule of law. And then we can get back to the policy disagreement. I just hope we're up to it. I, I, John, I mean, sometimes I'll write something and I'll, you know, Go back and look at it. Like, no, that, that sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. I think that that was very well spoken. And again, I go back to the person who wrote it, right? Someone who has a their knowledge of and even positioning to the information at hand and the people involved is way closer, right, to uh, way closer than myself, you, or 99% of the American people, right? I think some people should go back and 
Look it up. Google it. Look it up. Read it. The man spoke. I don't have time to get into all of what he had to say. But, again, I think his words, uh, uh, they, they should be heeded. They really should be heated. So it, we're about um, getting time to the to the first break, right? We have got a couple minutes, but so what? What else is going on? We just, you know, uh, in in the what? Uh, I do, I do. Thank you, thank you. You have to remind me. The first TV. The first TV. The first TV remote control. Okay. That was introduced in what year? Take a wild guess. The remote control, not the TV. Different. Well, you're pretty darn close because either either my eyes need to be checked again or you're right or you're wrong. But I believe that you're wrong, but you're close. 1958 is when this is. Okay. What was it called? They had a name for it. You know, we have a name for everything. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those listening and not watching on YouTube, I gave John one of those friend looks like, I know you didn't just say that out of your mouth. But that's okay. He did. So it's okay. But no. It's all, <laughs> it's all right. No, 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 no. Well, according to Snapple, I don't know where they get where, where they get their information. I, I might inquire about that. But anyway, okay. So they say nineteen fifty eight and it's called it was called at that point in time the lazy bone. Lazy bone. It went from the lazy bone to a remote. Eventually, I'm sure it changed names along the way, John. Just like every, you know, a lot of stuff changes names over time. Now, dances change. The, the names of clothes. We used to call them sneakers, tennis shoes. I mean, things. Come on now, lazy. Bone. I know that you're not as old as I am, but you 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 do know. You've been around long enough to know that. Things, you know, people change names all the time. That is, we'll, we'll leave the second one because we're it's time for us to go ahead and take a break. So we'll go. Up there. You you got a special song? No, well, not a special song. Uh, you you know, I like playing different songs for different reasons. But I guess this this one kind of actually is. Go ahead and play. Uh, this is Rihanna. American oxygen. So we need to take a short break. They always say that when they gotta pay bills, right? But since I pay the bills, I'm gonna pay myself and take a dial on break. Could you get that song going, John? These people, these people are gonna think that I am really inept. Well, I'm sure that. that that might be in some circles, but in some circles, I'm sure that's not the case. But anyway, this is American Oxygen. I want to make sure that I get the copyright because I don't want to have anybody try to jump down my throat about it. So this is Rihanna with who else? Who else is on this um, little shindig? I call it a shindig. Yeah, American Oxygen. 
I mean, are you going to play her? Well, probably because, you know, with modern technology, right, it comes as a blessing, but sometimes it can also come as a curse. Yeah. Oh, wow.
don't want to describe a beautiful taste, right? Because you you've heard me this a long time, right? Some of that also comes from the travel, you know, the different places that I've been blessed to be able to go to, right? But the reason why this song kind of resonates with me People adapt and change, right? But ultimately, at the end of the day, we all still need the same exact thing. There's not a human being on this earth that can survive without food, water, and shelter, right? That ain't never changed since the beginning of time, right? And so you wonder why we have such <laughs> just being uh, decent human beings to one another. I didn't mean to go down my little, and it's okay. I had my little pause in there. They'd be okay. Got to have my little pause breaks. It's okay to pause. Sometimes more people need to pause instead of opening up their mouth, right? They're quick to speak and then look real stupid what they have to say. So, I mean, you know, I'm okay with having some pause breaks. I think, what what, what is the word? Be, be slow to speak, okay? You know, well, and, and slow to anger. Because a lot of times that does get us in trouble, not, not, just, uh, not just other people, but myself. And so I try, 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 try to discipline myself to... Uh, Exercise patience, exercise uh, some prudence before jumping to conclusions. Now, am I perfect at it? No, but I try to work at it, and it helps. It definitely does help. But before we go on to our second kind of mini Snapple quiz, uh, fun fact, as we call it, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't. Put out all of our social media that we are uh, on. We are definitely on Twitter. You can find us at rants underscore KC. You can also follow us on Instagram, KC underscore rants. You can find us on Facebook, capital KC space, no underscore, just space, R-A-N-T-S, rants. Or you can also... Uh, watch us live on YouTube or watch the videos on YouTube at kcrant 70 at gmail.com. We definitely appreciate all those who are supporting us. We have people that are listening to us all around the world. Our theme is changing lives one conversation at a time. And I've had some of the most, some of the greatest conversations were from random people that I didn't know anything about, had never met them before. Some of them have come from lift rides. Some of them have been uh, in other countries 
just randomly talking to people that might be tourists as well or people that were native to the country that I was in. But all those experiences, all of those conversations, all of those interactions uh, have had an impact on my life. The question would be, we, we may, probably would never know this. Had I not had those conversations, had I not had those interactions, had I not had those moments, would my life be what it is now? Would I be moving in the direction that I am now if I had not had those experiences? And so I thought it was kind of just a, a good time to uh, kind of look back a little bit and see how life is so vastly different for each of us individually, yet is, it is simplistically the same for every person as well. And as much as our dreams may be different, our mode of operation is the same. And so uh, why can't we and how can we find common ground instead of always looking for ways of division? The book Becoming by Michelle Obama, former first lady of the United States of America, kind of helped me go down that road a little bit. And, and so the, the idea to, to do a book review of some sorts uh, with her life or parts and portions of her life, it actually just fell kind of right in place of what I was thinking. Uh, it made me nostalgic myself. As I mentioned to you earlier, She's only six years older than I am. Uh, she began kindergarten the year before I was born. I was born in 1970. And in her book, uh, in the preface, uh, she talks about starting kindergarten at the age of, uh, you know, uh, excuse me, in the year 1969. So, uh, like I said, there's no way to get through all of this. <laughs> Uh, in one short show, so I decided to kind of break it up, and we may break it up as, as much as we need to, but there was, because there was so much richness for me, and I'm sure that if uh, not only people that uh, are my age, like my, my parents and, and different uh, age groups will be able to relate to the different things uh, that she expresses within the book, her experiences, uh, and I know that if it did that for me, I'm, I'm guaranteed that your experiences may not be exactly the same, but are probably very similar to, to hers as well. And so that is why the show was named The Nostalgia of Becoming an Unlikely Journey to Becoming First Lady. Now, I mean, we all get nostalgic from time to time, and, and often that comes with, with age and experience sometimes. 
uh, experience being events that might have happened in your life. Uh, and so as I began to read the book, uh, I basically, again, started just marking certain excerpts that just resonated to me, not only because I had a similar experience, John, but because I, it, it just took me to key aspects of life right now that, that seem to be struggles for us as human beings, right? And we're supposed to be intelligent beings. So she kind of honed in on and hit there's certain passages or certain phrases that folks that I've pointed out to you and we were trying to advertise for the for the broadcast uh, that just resonated with me. So what I'd like to extend to, if anyone is listening live, uh, most of our listeners end up listening as the podcast is uploaded to Blog Talk Radio or the other venues that it that it is uploaded to. But if you are listening live and you want to chime in and you want to give us a call, you can call in uh, at our number, which is 646-668-8495. I'll repeat it again, 646-668-8495. And again, our topic, although we would have loved to have Michelle Obama as the in-studio guest, right? What a look at that. And sat right next to Michelle, let me ask you this question. Because I would have. And I probably would have whispered to her and said, look, you can be honest. Off camera. This is off the record. Tell me, didn't you want to go upside a few people's heads? You know what I'm saying? Because I know. John, I know. I know. And I know Barack. You don't talk about my wife like that. Mm. I ain't having that. In my everyday life, I do want to go outside some people's heads. If there are those listening out live, you want to call in and ask a question or make a comment about the book. Now, I will say that this, during this broadcast, please, if you're going to make up a comment about the book, leave it within chapters one through eight. Uh, because today I'm just going to be dealing with the section that uh, of becoming the preface and then the section becoming Okay, so I'm going to try to limit it to that, and I don't even think we're going to be able to get to through that. Maybe because, you know, I stop and kind of really analyze stuff, you know, probably a little bit more than maybe some people. I don't know, maybe not enough. You know, I don't know. We'll see. But so, that, look, and this is one of those where I'm going to give my interpretation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's a lot I still, and this is within the preface, uh, there's a lot I still don't know about America, about life, about what the future might bring. But I do know myself. My father, Frazier, taught me to work hard, laugh a lot, often, excuse me, and keep my word. My mother, Marion, showed me how to think for myself and to use my voice. Together in our cramped apartment on the south side of Chicago, they helped me see the value in our story in my story, in the larger story of our country, even when it's not pretty or perfect, even when it's more real than you want it to be. Your story is what you have, what you will always have. It is something 
to own. I like that passage right there for a couple of different reasons. One, she clearly acknowledges that she doesn't know everything. I think that is extremely important, not only for those who choose to hold leadership positions for a country, for a city, for a household, it is important to realize that you don't know it all. And some, so many people operate under the auspices as if they do. And once you put yourself in that plane of thinking that you know it all, you've totally lost the boat. It is totally sailed over your head. And at that point, you were really not fit to lead other people. So I appreciated the fact that she acknowledges that as much as she's experienced, I mean, and she's still yet alive and living and is experiencing and accomplishing more each and every day, right? But just the body of work thus far, right? A young African-American girl from the south side of Chicago in 1969, and say that's when she was born, that's when she went to kindergarten and started, you know, started developing these ideas about what you want to be in, in life. And it, Could you imagine her thinking that she would be the first lady of the United States of America? So even with that body of work, right, she acknowledges that she still does, even her own country. But she then talks about her family and the ethic, right, the, the ethics that were instilled by her parents. And so why don't I bring it up? I bring it up because we always talk about working hard, right, getting good education, providing for yourself. And so much perception about our people, talking about African Americans in the United States of America, and this plight is in many places around the world. But I can only speak to where I was born and raised, right? But no, she wasn't. Taught, and I'm saying this for a reason. There's a reason why I'm going through this dissertation and going through it the way I am, John. You know how meticulous I can be. I understand. But the perception, now I'm not making this up because I am an African-American male and I've lived in this country for almost 50 years. I was born in 1970, as I said before, right? Yes. Got a lot of mileage on these, on these tires, Okay. But even in my own experience, the perception is that in our household, we must be taught something different other than working hard or 
right? You understand what I'm talking about. And I laughed when she talked about how her uh, uh, how she had this encounter, and I'm gonna I'm ooh, I can't leapfrog to it. But there's an experience that she had, which was an experience almost identical to what I had had. And well, several of these actually, but there's one in particular that I want to talk about. But she talked about the ethics that they were taught, working hard, laughing often, and keeping your word, right? Working hard, laughing often. And you know I talk about that all the time, right? There is a side note a little bit, but there is scientific evidence. As I've read in some articles, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but they say that laughing is good for, you know, that saying that laughter is good medicine for the soul, that is, that is actually true. That the endorphins that are let loose when you laugh are very healthy for your body. I'm always laughing. I, I purposed some years ago, John, purposed some years ago that I was going to find an Every day, no matter what happened, good or bad, I was going to find at least one thing to laugh about and to get a good laugh about it. Like, I mean, one of them hearty laughs when you're almost crying, you know. Yes. When you feel like you just, like, ran a race because your your muscles in your body is all tensed up and everything, right, because you've been laughing so much. Can't stop. Keeping her word. I find it real peculiar how people who are leading other people think that lying and even lying in the moment is good. Because eventually all this stuff is going to come out. It just does. Somebody in... If one thing, we talked about this on one of the other shows, even with cheating, right? Why do people keep doing something when you know there's a lot of history? There's a whole lot of history. There's still a whole lot of history with these. I I ain't seen nothing that, that, that turned out good. I ain't never seen nobody roll up on a cheating situation and be like, you know what? I'm okay with you go going right on back and keep doing what you was doing. I'll see you when you get home, okay? Now, maybe there is one of those out there like that. I'm just saying. So there's a lot of history. There's a lot of history to go from, right, So this perception of how we are as people and how we raise our children, well, I just decided I wanted to kind of dispel that. But what I think later in the passage, which really resonates with me as well, is that she talks about the, your story. You have to own your story, whatever that is, whatever cards you're dealt, because none of us get to choose. Nobody chooses who they come here in this life to, right? 
to have this haughty attitude as if you were somebody greater than everybody else because you were born a certain color or born to a certain family or born to in a certain country or with a certain ethnicity. I'm sorry, you might kind of want to do when you operate under that mindset, I'm not trying to be funny, I'm not trying to be mean, but you might want to go sit on somebody's couch because the information and facts that are out there dispel all of those ideas that are for <laughs> an extreme. They just do. But for some reason, we feel like we have to hold on to some of this stuff. I often say, especially for those extreme and, and those who are racist around the world, no matter who you are, if you were to sit back and look in your household about things that were made or ideas that would come up by people that did not look like you, you wouldn't have anything in your household. Yeah, ponder on that. While we spend so much energy, John, on hating other people just because of the hue of their skin or where they were born in this world, which they had no control over, you and yourself, how could you possibly be trying to demean someone else when you didn't even control how you got here? Just saying. We got to get to the next break. I know it's here shortly. Just, just let me know when. I'm trying to. I'm. I'm trying to be mindful. But she says you have to own your life, which means taking responsibility, not for what somebody else says, not for, uh, for somebody else's experiences, because once you are come of age, and this also talks about how people are reared. Also, and we'll get into that after the break, because i got to start winding down in a minute here um, so that we can get this second break in. we got to pay ourselves. we got to pay ourselves. Yeah. I pay for the damn airtime. <laughs> I just, another talk break. But anyway, she said your story is what you have. Think about it. And, and she's right. I mean, that's not, that's a, something, you know, Scientific, I'm not saying that, but it is a profound statement. Your story, because nobody else can tell your story. So everything that you learn, per se, I go back to a conversation, and you know I always boil these down on conversations that I have with people because I enjoy them. But the conversation that I had with one of my Lyft drivers, and she was a a, uh, a white female in her early 50s, but she, was, she grew up in a household which she described as being a racist household didn't want to interact and, and all these negative things. And that's why this con that conversation comes back up as I'm speaking of this, you know, and, and, and talking about how uh, she was raised totally different than the description that was given to this woman of how African-Americans are raised and what you would expect going into their household. This woman, not me, these are 
words out of her mouth. I would love to record people. I have to get permission, though, you know. I would love to record people because these conversations that I have are awesome, man. They are really, they're really awesome. But I would love for other people to hear them because I don't want people to think that I'm just saying this for some type of effect. But she told me, she said that she was told, you know, black people were dirty people, you know, they're nasty, whatever. She was a nurse. And then at some point she became a home care nurse. And in her dealings, you know, you deal with all kinds of people when you're in the nursing field. She said her worst experience were in white households as far as people being nasty and dirty and not taking care of themselves. I didn't say that. I'm not saying that all white people are that. What I'm saying is this woman's account, and she has a better account because she's been in more households of varying degrees probably than I have just because of her profession. She came to a conclusion on her own. And one of the things that I do like about the book is that although, and, and she describes this early on in the book, although there were parameters that her parents set for her and her brother Craig, they allowed for them to be and to grow. They gave them information and allowed them to process that information based off of the instruction that they had given them. So, yeah, it, it, does, it does really just come down to uh, a lot of these things come down to how people are raised. But what that also tells me, and I will expound upon a little bit of this further as well, is she mentions an incident, of course, dealing with the issue of black and white. And what I don't understand, there are a whole lot of things that you could put your energies into in life. And I've said this one before, too, and that will probably be something that I will continue to repeat because I don't understand it, and I would love for someone to explain it to me. Intelligence. I'm not talking of explaining from your selfish, biased, perverted way of thinking. But I would love for someone to explain to me how it is that you can live on this earth 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years, and all you have to show for it is hate. You spend all your time and energy hating another group of people. And if you would use your intelligent brain, we've been learned. No, 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 not better. You have better opportunities. Some might say there's a lot of varying reasons why people are in the positions they're in right now. Not necessarily because you're better than, right? But anyway. Life would be so much better if people wouldn't use that thing called the noggin, they say. You know, that's been a long time. See, I tell you, I can go way back, right? But that's the beauty of this book as well because uh, as we funnel into our next and last break, for me, it just took me back to when I grew up. Almost, like, warped me back to when I was a kid. 
And so that's one of the things that I appreciated about the book just from Jump was the authenticity that she uh, displayed, uh, you know. And again, I believe because of that authenticity that she has displayed and being very frank and forthcoming with uh, experiences in her life, this will be a book that will resonate with many, many other people. So as we go to break, John's got a song for us. Um, that we're going to kind of rock to, lean with it, rock with it, something like that. Ain't that one of them songs from back in the day, lean with it, rock with it. I told you I can't do I'm one of those chair dancers, okay? I ain't got no rhythm. I can chair. I got a little bit of rhythm. I mean, I can do all that, but other than that, I ain't got no rhythm. So I'm one of them chair dancers, okay? Come on. Stop to ask myself then, 
what would happen to all the kids who'd been left in the basement with the teacher who couldn't teach. Now that I'm an adult, I realize that kids know at a very young age when they're being devalued, when adults aren't invested enough to help them learn. Their anger over it can manifest itself as unruliness. It's hardly their fault. They aren't bad kids. They're just trying to survive bad circumstances. At the time, though, I was just happy to have escaped, but I learned many years later that my mother, who is by nature wry and quiet, but generally also the most forthright person in any room, made a point of seeking out the second grade teacher and telling her as kindly as possible that she had no business teaching and should be working as a drugstore cashier instead. Mama read, didn't she? <laughs> but that points out a couple of things. We, the teaching profession, and, I, and I'm sure there have been a lot of improvements or some improvements, but the teaching profession just in general and I've said this, uh, even back when I was in undergrad and did my student teaching and my practicum and was interested at that time in potentially going into the teaching field, I saw then, even in the state of Missouri, which is where I'm from, the average teacher salary back then, and you're talking 1992, 93, was approximately $18,000, $19,000 a year. And that's hardly a salary that, that someone can not only live themselves, but all, or you can't possibly raise a family or sustain a family off of that in most places. And so, you lose out on individuals who would be very good at teaching because we are not paying them enough. That was one thing that kind of just popped out at me, even just reading that passage. And I know that's not something that she said, but I said that I'm going to be uh, reviewing the book myself and how that has uh, related to even my experiences and how I can you know, relate to it. So that's the reason why I'm going there. That move by her mother was extremely important into the next phase of her maturation as an individual, as a person, as a woman. And had she not had a parent that was willing to go and fight for, as she denotes in the book, a weeks-long process of behind-the-scenes lobbying, Mama said, no, 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 not my child. But children should not be left behind because their parents did not fight for them as the way Michelle Obama's mom fought for her and other kids in that class, right? Kids should not be left behind. And part of that rests on the teachers. But if you're not going to pay teachers what they need to be paid and are worth being paid 
And I always have said this, and I don't discount, and I want people to understand that that might listen to this. I was someone, I am someone, excuse me, that that played sports and played sports in college as well. So I'm not discounting sports. I'm not discounting what we pay. But doggone it, if we're going to pay and have these athletes sit out and, and hold out for money that they feel that they're worth because of the performance, we, our teachers across the board, spend more time with our children than we do as parents often. How dare you be upset when they have to deal with your rotten-ass child all damn day long and not think that they're not worth paying? Teacher salaries need to be what? Six figures should be the start. Yes, there should, and especially the guidelines that they are held to to invest in your children. Yes, teachers need to be paid more, a hell of a lot more. And oftentimes, they're not just a teacher of information, but they become a confidant for your children because something may be going on, whether that's with another boy or a girl, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, something, a test, a a class, a, a sport, something going on at home. They wear many hats, many of them that you will not wear and don't want to wear for your children, yet we won't pay them anything. And so then we get classrooms like this. Thankfully, she was in a situation where I think part of that problem gets solved if we pay teachers what they're worth. You want to pay athletes what they're worth? You want to, everybody wants to talk about what they're worth? Pay teachers what they're worth. Count for how much time they spend with your children that you're not spending with them. Pay them what they're worth. But one of the other things that, that she points out is this idea of unruliness and behavior and the behavior of kids. And oftentimes we've seen it, psychologists will tell you. People will tend to act out when there are things that are going wrong. So instead of labeling kids as bad kids, we need to take the opportunity. There might be some that are bad. That happens. But more times than not, there's a reason. There's a catalyst to the behavior. And if we're really going to invest in our children and really invest and say that we're investing in our future and what the future is going to look like, we will take the time to find out what that core reason is and begin to tackle it from that aspect and stop putting labels on kids. Because quite honestly, we've got some people, including in the White House, that that exhibit far worse behavior than our kids do. Yet we are not punishing them, not labeling them, and allowing that behavior to go unchecked. Often I, I wonder, how can we sit and say anything about kids when they, they're they're exact replicas of, of, of the adults that they're viewing, watching on an everyday basis. And when 
people are trying to survive a bad situation, they will do whatever means necessary to survive. And we know that to be fact as well. And this is why she eloquently says they're just trying to survive bad circumstances. There are many, many, many intelligent, very gifted children out there that don't get the opportunity to flourish and allow their wings to fly because we have clipped them, clipped them by not giving them adequate teachers, clip them as parents who are not providing them with the most uh, 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 healthy environment possible. We clip their wings when they tell us that this is what they're interested in, but we tell them, no, you can't do that because you're not supposed to. This is what you're going to do. What I appreciate, again, and I'll say it because I said it a little bit earlier, I appreciate about it's not that they didn't receive instruction from their mother and father. They received instruction, but the instructions that they received helped them to make good decisions when they encountered experiences that were not spelled out. There's a real funny one that we're going to get to um, as we talk about this. But obviously, I we we yeah, this might I'm going to have to do some more rap. But we yeah. Take a little bit longer than, uh, than, the, than, but that's okay. Oh, I'm not talking about today. We can still wrap up. We've got about we've got about ten minutes left. Um, there is one other, and actually, we'll we'll end on this one. I, I did thought I did think, excuse me, that this particular passage, this actual sentence within the book was very um, – it's interesting that she made note of it, and, I, and you'll understand probably what I mean in this sense, and I'm not saying this is the only person that's ever done this, but making specific mention to it and how it's made mention I thought was very key, um, and I can even relate that to a couple things. So give me a second. I'm going to read it, but here, here it goes because we're going to have to come back to some of this. So one of the things she points out early in the book on page 25 is my father, I remember, made a point of saying that sex was and should be fun. Now, I thought that was quite interesting. You're talking about 70s, right? My father, not mother, my father, I remember, made a point of saying what I love about that is that a lot of guys, especially if they're going to have daughters, right, oh, my God, they get into a frenzy. And I tell my brother all the time because my brother has a daughter and, you know, my oldest brother, but they're already older. My brother's daughter, my niece, is 10 years old, so he's getting ready to go through that phase, right? (laughs) Um, I didn't have any daughters. So I'm good. Didn't have to go through that. But you hear a lot of dads, and, and I probably would have been the same way. We're going to have to go have this talk. Okay? And anybody going to try to date her, you know what I'm saying? Because we've been like, 
But I like what she said. Now, I'm not saying that he did not, her father, I'm not saying that he never had the fear or that he wasn't dealing with anything. What he presented to her was a healthy look at sex, not scare tactics. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I get why parents do scare tactics because I was a parent myself. You know what I'm saying? So I get all that. But I can appreciate, and he had to have done it in such a manner because that's the thing that resonated with her and that she remembers all these years later. You know what I'm saying? That he made sure that she understood. Why am I making a point of this? I'm making a point of this because of the fact that what I don't understand, even in church, John, okay, I say churchdom. When I say churchdom, I'm talking about eh, all of it. Religiosity include all of it. Yeah. The problem that I have is why do we have such a pushback and such a negative, demonistic view of the very thing that gets us here? Now, I understand technology has moved forward and you have people that can have babies in, in a couple of ways, right? But by and large, in general, there's, this is how we're made, right? I don't care whether you take it from a donor or not. You need the sperm, you need the egg, and that generally comes from ovulation and ejaculation, okay? I'm just saying. No, but I'm just saying because we make things so hard, man, for real. It's not that damn hard. And if you're that damn ashamed of it, then you don't need to be doing it, period. If you're that ashamed of doing what it is that naturally gets us here, then you don't need to be doing it. That simple. But anyway, I'm, but why is it that we demonize that? That's how we get here. That shows you how dysfunctional we are as people, period. I'm not saying everybody, but there are a lot of people out there that still demonize sex. How do you demonize the very thing? And then call yourself thanking God for being here in some sort of manner, right? How are you going to thank him when, you, when you're talking about and, and hating on the, the way that we – instead of educating people about the blessings and the good things that come from healthy sexual interaction. You understand what I'm saying? I just think that's kind of funny, you know. I, I, but I, what I was, again, uh, what just drew my attention to it is that she made emphasis to make this point, which I think is very key, and it's very key to anybody that's raising kids. You shouldn't demonize the very thing. They're going to ask you. Kids are going to naturally. going to ask. They're going to be inquisitive. Who wouldn't be? How do I get here? You demonize it. Well, guess what? They're going to find out one way or another. Why not be the person and the catalyst that gives them the most positive and healthy view of the very thing, the beautiful thing that gets us here? You understand what I'm saying? So I just I did. I and you know and, and you know me, I'm I'm going through every line and it's probably taking me a little bit longer to read this book than 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 what I needed to be. But it's cool because 
again, I think these are things that are subtly being said, and she might not even know the impact that she's making by saying the things that she's saying, but it subtly reminds us that life is beautiful, and we get stressed out about a whole lot of stuff that really don't mean a hill of beans. And so as I'm reading the book and as I'm going back, and uh, I'm going to put kind of a little, you know, little, little table it right there in a sense. But as I'm going through the book and as I'm reading it and as I'm sharing her experiences, I'm also thinking, looking back and laughing at some of the experiences. It's, it's uh, jogging memories of my own about the fun times and the laughs and the, and the games that you create when you don't have, you know, because this is back, you know. Remember, this is back before you had computers. This is back before you had cell phones and all these apps and games and stuff like that, right? So this was back when creativity was at its highest with kids because you were creating games. And so this kind of took me to get out of here, uh, but we are going to continue this wonderful conversation. This is just our first installment on, again, uh, one of New York Times' number one bestsellers become by Michelle Obama. I promise we won't be stuck on the first few pages next time that we uh, reconvene. But follow us again on Twitter at rant underscore KC. You can follow us also on IG at KC underscore rants on Facebook at KC space rants. And if you want to watch it, actually, if you want to look at my ugly bug on video, you can follow us on video. Please subscribe. You can also follow and subscribe to the podcast uh on Blog Talk Radio and that will allow you to know when the new shows are going to be streaming. We're doing kind of about once a week right now, but we may in well actually once every two weeks is kind of what we've been doing right now. There's a lot of information out there. We'd love to do more shows, but we're kind of taking our pacing ourselves right now. We've been a little patient. So with that being said, look for the next installment of Becoming with Michelle Obama. Thank you for joining us. Please comment, leave a comment, like, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Peace. We're out. Oh, boy.